This is episode number six of the Polyglot Developer Podcast, and I'm your host, Nick Raboy. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, I'm joined by a friend of mine, Nolan Lawson, to talk about a popular tool that I myself have used many times, uh, as well as many of the people that I talk to. This tool is called PouchDB, and it's compatible with not only web applications, but many mobile applications as well. So it's, it's compatible all over the board. Nolan is actually a contributor on this project, so he gives us a firsthand experience on not only how to use PouchDB, but how people are using it, uh, what you should and shouldn't do when you're using it, just an overall background to, to really educate you on, uh, is this good in my web application? Is this good in my mobile application? Uh, what, what should I use PouchDB for? With that said, enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I have with me on the phone, Nolan Lawson, who is actually one of the contributors to a popular library or database application uh, called PouchDB. Uh, so before we go any further, I want to give Nolan a chance to introduce himself. Uh, so hello, Nolan. What's up? Hi, Nick. Uh, not much. I'm just in, uh, enjoying the rare sunshine in Seattle right now. We don't see this every day. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I've not, I've not actually been to Seattle, but I hear that it rains like 90% of the time. Oh, Seattle's great. You're missing out. You should come here. Uh, it actually doesn't rain nearly as badly as everyone says. It's just that it's overcast most of the time. Overcast. So probably not too different than San Francisco where I'm at then, right? Ooh, well, we don't get the fog though. Yeah, all right. All right, that makes sense. So what are you doing up in Seattle? Uh, well, I actually just recently moved here. I was working for Squarespace in New York as little as a month ago. Um, but I moved to Seattle and actually just announced yesterday that I am joining Microsoft on the Microsoft Edge team. That That is awesome. So what, what exactly is the Microsoft Edge team? Uh, so Microsoft Edge, for those who aren't aware, is basically it is the new IE. Uh, it is kind of a rebranded Internet Explorer. Uh, it has a slightly different looking icon, kind of a, a more uh, slick looking icon, I think. Um, and it's also uh, much more compliant with web standards. It scores much, much better on HTML5 test and uh, just all around a, an improved browser. So when, when people develop these web applications, uh, will they not have to worry about the dreaded, uh, does it work for Internet Explorer kind of thing? Uh, someday, hopefully, no. Yeah, that is, that is the dream. Uh, that, that's the dream. All, all, we, all we need is enough people to actually upgrade to Windows 10, which uh, some people are kind of stubborn about uh, about not doing that. Yeah, actually, so I, I have Windows in a, in a virtual machine because I'm on a Mac, uh, but it's Windows 8, so I haven't had a chance to upgrade to 10 yet, but I hear it's pretty good. Oh, yeah, and uh, you should definitely, uh, pro tip, if you want to try out the latest version of Microsoft Edge, get the Insider Preview and just directly download the ISO file for the Insider Preview, and then you can load that up in a virtual machine. It's very convenient. Is there a, is there a disadvantage to using the Insider Preview versus whatever's public? Uh, it's a little more unstable because it's the bleeding edge. Is it a nightly build? Uh, it is not a nightly build, no. Um, it gets updated periodically, I think, uh, in the order of maybe like once every couple months or so. Um, but it, it'll give you the latest version of Microsoft Edge. Like right now, the latest is uh, Edge 14, which is not released yet, but has lots of new features like um, like extensions and the Fetch API that uh, are fun to play with. Cool. So so what do they actually have you doing on the Microsoft Edge team? Are you allowed to talk talk about that or is it top secret? 
Uh, well, my next week is next week. So actually, uh, what they're going to have me doing is a lot of new employee orientation <laughs> right. for the beginning. Um, but I'm going to be focusing on uh, uh, my my job title will be uh, web platform program manager, uh, and I will be focusing on performance. So hopefully, getting the browser up to uh, really really good level of performance, nice slick interaction, smooth scrolling. Awesome. So so you said program manager. Does that mean you're you're not going to be developing, or are you uh, going to be developing as well? Uh, no, I'll be developing as well. Uh, it's a funny thing about Microsoft that the uh, they, had, they they had to, they actually took a lot of time to try to explain to me. Apparently, a program manager is kind of anything and everything. Uh, so there are program managers and senior program managers. I think there are even uh, managers of program managers. Um, so it's just kind of an all-encompassing term. Awesome. So so uh, what were you doing at Squarespace? Were you developing, designing? Uh, I was working on their mobile apps and on the website. Uh, so. It was an interesting experience because uh, at Squarespace, most of our apps were very hybrid-y yeah. um, because fundamentally it, it, it's a company that builds websites and helps people build websites. Uh, so a lot of our apps were true hybrid apps. Like they would, uh, they would have native components and web components kind of mixed together. Sure. So you'd have uh, some native code talking to a web view and then the web view talking back to it. Uh, it was interesting stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, the ways that you can push web technologies to do things that, uh, that you wouldn't expect them to be capable of doing. Yeah, so were you working with uh, all kinds of different developer technologies like Java and uh, the, the web technologies like JavaScript, or were you specifically focusing on uh, certain languages? Oh, yes. We, we, we used uh, Objective-C, Swift, Java, JavaScript, um, whatever it took to get the job done. And now you're going to be doing um, uh, .NET? Is that, uh, do I understand this correctly, or are you using something else over at Microsoft? Uh, the browser itself, I'm not sure if it actually relies on .NET technologies. It definitely relies on the, um, on Windows itself. Sure. Uh, yeah. I actually can't say much about it. I, I don't want to just blithely talk because I no, haven't no, no, started that, there yet. That, that's absolutely all right. I just wanted to get a little background, but that's, that's, that's no, no big deal because that's not the topic of our, of our podcast today. The last thing, uh, as far as, uh, you go, uh, I do want to figure out, uh, how do we get in to- uh, contact with you if, uh, any of the listeners want to reach out, uh, are you on Twitter? Do you have a, a website that people can visit? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Nolan Lawson pretty much everywhere. Uh, on Twitter, on GitHub, um, my blog is nolanlawson.com. So feel free to check me out there uh, if you find anything that you think might be interesting. Awesome. So now let's let's jump right into the core topic today. So uh, this is actually a tool that I've used many times, uh, and it, it always comes up pretty much daily. Um, and it's PouchDB, with, and that starts with the P as in Paul. Uh, can you tell me what exactly that is? Uh, sure. So PouchDB is an open source project. It's a JavaScript database that is a re-implementation of CouchDB. Uh, and it runs in the browser. It runs in Node.js. Uh, it runs in a variety of environments. Actually, most recently, I'm really proud of this, we got it to run on a Tessel. So it actually will run on embedded uh, embedded devices as well. Uh, Tessel being a, a small uh, sort of IoT uh, microcontroller about the size of a saltine cracker. Who, who makes Tessel? Is that uh, that's not an Intel kind of thing, is it? Uh, no, it's a it's a community-run project. Actually, uh, I believe they were a company at some point, but now they're just uh, a nonprofit uh, open source project. But that's not the the primary focus of PouchDB. Most people use it. Uh, for the web, and actually especially in hybrid applications. So it's used quite frequently in Cordova apps, Ionic apps, uh, PhoneGap apps, those kind of things. Sure. Uh, so as far as your role um, in, in PouchDB, uh, are you, you're the 
you're the founder, right? Or the co-founder of this project? Uh, I wouldn't say co-founder. Actually, the project has had an interesting history. So it was actually originally created by Michael Rogers, uh, who a lot of people might know as uh, one of the key contributors to Node.js. He was kind of instrumental in the IOJS fork of Node and then uh, and then the, the creation of the Node Foundation and the merging of of Node and IOJS back together. So he actually created PouchDB way back in the day, uh, five or six years ago, as kind of an experiment because there was this new uh, database API for the web called IndexedDB. And he looked at it and it was and was like, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder if you could build CouchDB with this. And uh, so he built uh, the first version of PouchDB, which was called, at the time he called it IDB Couch. And it, it could only run on Firefox Nightly, I think, with a flag. Like this was really bleeding edge. Yeah. And um, it was just kind of a, a fun weekend project. And then uh, a year later, uh, Dale Harvey, who's now at Mozilla, uh, he works on Firefox, uh, he took it up and renamed it to PouchDB and put in a, a huge amount of work. Dale, Dale is really the true founder, I think. Um, I think most people will agree. Um, so he, he picked it up and has been uh, the primary maintainer since then. And I, I would kind of bill myself as maybe his lieutenant, like the uh, the second maintainer. Uh, I came onto the project two, two and a half years ago, and uh, I write a lot of blog posts for it. I uh, work a lot on subcomponents, but definitely it's a it's a, it's a huge uh, joint and community effort. I mean, if you look at the contributors list now, there's uh, I think over two hundred contributors. Like it's a it, it's a it's definitely a community run project. So this this is an open source project then, right? Oh, absolutely, so it's free. Yeah, 100% open source, uh, Apache licensed, uh, exactly like CouchDB. And, uh, and there's a lot of satellite projects as well, uh, plugins, uh, PouchDB as a server called PouchDB Server. All of these are open source as well. Sure. So, so when, I, when I look at a, a, a JavaScript library, because that's what it is, right? Um, uh, I, I often think of it as a library, but are you considering it to be a database in its own? That's actually a good question. Uh, it's, it is actually tough to call it itself a database because what PouchDB is technically is a wrapper over other databases. So uh, kind of an abstraction layer. So the way I like to think about PouchDB is that PouchDB takes the databases that already exist in the environments that you might be running uh, your JavaScript application. So for instance, IndexedDB, WebSQL, local storage uh, in a browser, on Node.js, LevelDB, SQLite uh, for a hybrid app, SQLite. And PouchDB abstracts over those and gives you an API that is exactly the same as CouchDB. So on the surface, it appears to you as if you're using CouchDB. In fact, all the method calls, all the options are exactly the same, and you get exactly the same response back that you would have gotten from CouchDB. But under the hood, if you look at the internals, it's actually storing data to IndexedDB, storing data to uh, WebSQL, SQLite. So... So, there's, there's a ton of different technologies that you just listed <laughs> off. Um, because it's based off of CouchDB, are you guys considering it to be a NoSQL uh, wrapper or something else? Yes, that's a good question. So it definitely, it definitely is a NoSQL database. CouchDB is a NoSQL database, so PouchDB is as well. It allows you to store JSON objects. Uh, you basically just give it uh, almost unstructured JSON, and it stores it as is. Uh, under the hood, it might actually be using a SQL database. So when we work over SQLite or WebSQL, uh, under the hood, that's SQL. But what we expose is a NoSQL database. Sure. Uh, so so now that we have a little background on on what PouchDB is and and how it operates, uh, what what kind of what kind of problem does does PouchDB aim to solve? I know we've you've kind of brushed over it a little bit, but let's maybe get some more depth into it. 
Well, I think there's two important problems it solves. The first important problem is offline first. Uh, when you're building a web application, and especially when you're building a hybrid app or, or a progressive web app, something that is designed to work well offline and to uh, fit well in a mobile device where you don't always have connection to a network or, or even a strong connection, um, you want the app to work offline. This is what we've kind of expected from our native apps, and web apps should be able to do exactly the same thing. And uh, PouchDB allows you to do that. The design of it is that you you save your data to PouchDB, and PouchDB is completely local, so it's 100% reliable. It'll never go down if the network goes down. And uh, so instead of doing just, say, Ajax calls back and forth to your server, which may go down, may be unreliable, you talk to PouchDB. And then you tell PouchDB, hey, can you just sync that data to the server when you get a chance? And PouchDB can do uh, what, we, what we call live replication, which means that it will keep trying to replicate changes to and from the remote database. And if it loses connectivity, then that's fine. It just waits and waits. And then when you come back online, then it syncs those changes. So from your perspective as the developer, it's very seamless. Like you, you can kind of interact with PouchDB the same way that you would normally interact with your server, but it's always up. It never goes down. And that means that your app actually works 100% offline. So, so you mentioned, uh, what did you call it, live sync? Is that what you called it? Yes, uh, yeah. live sync, live replication. Yeah, yeah, live replication. So does that work off of uh, long polling or does it do something else? Uh, the default strategy is long polling, indeed. There are other strategies that we also support. There is a plugin called Socket Pouch that allows you to sync over WebSockets. Yeah. Um, but the default strategy, yes, is long polling, which actually works a lot better than, uh, than some people may think. So can you? So you mentioned that uh, it'll just continuously keep trying. Uh, can you give a little bit more backstory on what long polling is? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so long polling is when you hold open one HTTP connection with the server. And uh, maybe the server will send a heartbeat down every every so many seconds. Uh, and what that means is it might actually just push like a single character. It might just push a new line. And that just kind of lets you know that the server is still there and you're listening to it. Um, and so that keeps the connection open, meaning that when a change comes in, so say that uh, you have two clients, like say two different devices running your application, and one of them is listening for changes, and the other one just pushed a change to the server, right? So if it just pushed the change to the server, then the first one, since it has the connection open, it just immediately gets that change from the server, which most of the time is CouchDB or a CouchDB-like database, uh, such as CouchBase or Cloudant. And uh, the other thing that it does is when the connection goes down, um, it will keep retrying. And we have, uh, the, we have a standard retry mechanism, which is based off of an exponential backoff, which basically just means that when you go offline, it keeps trying in longer and longer intervals to see if it can reestablish the connection. And that's just a good practice in order to go easy on battery life. Sure. So, so you've, you've mentioned a lot on apps and battery life. Are you, I know that you mentioned earlier that uh, it will work for Node.js, uh, web applications, uh, mobile applications, but it sounds like you're really pushing it for mobile applications. Is that where PouchDB shines the best? Uh, I would say that that's what it's used for the most. We definitely encourage people to use it on, on the server in Node.js, um, really anywhere. Uh, I mean, in, on, on Tesla, why not there? But most of our users, I would say, are using it for websites and especially for mobile websites. So when you're when you're uh, doing this continuous um, this live sync, um, does it have to be continuous, or can you do like a one shot kind of sync? 
Oh, no, you can definitely do a one-shot sync as well, which uh, is actually going to be a very useful thing as the background sync API starts to make its way into more and more browsers. Right now, the background sync API is supported in Chrome, and what it essentially is, is it's a way for the browser itself to, um, to let your web page synchronize in the background, even if the web page isn't open. So this is one of the, one of the ways that the web is has typically or has historically been a little bit behind native in the ability to do background syncing operations even when the app isn't open. But this API actually opens up that possibility. And so in that case, the way you would use that with PouchDB is that you would just set up a timer using the background sync API, and you would just do this one-shot replication. So, so with this background sync API, this is just this is just for Chrome apps, or is this for any website? No, this this is a web standard, but currently it's only supported by Chrome. I actually don't know uh, what the status is on Edge. I'd have to check our status to see if we're planning on supporting it. How but, how does that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Too, this is my actually my first time hearing about this API. How how are they going to prevent all kinds of chaos from happening um, with all kinds of sync happening on every website, uh, doing all kinds of nonsense? Is that is that a is that a concern or is that like uh, do, do you understand well, what I mean? Yeah, I understand what you mean. Uh, well, that's a good question, actually. Uh, you know, to be honest, I'd have to look at the fine grained details to see if that's been discussed. Yeah. I, I mostly just kind of um, looked over how you can use the API. Yeah, because I know. <clears throat> One thing, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I know. Uh, I'm talking like 15 years ago. JavaScript was was quite a disaster uh, as far as being able to hijack your computer, basically. So I don't know if if uh, things have been thought through for this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about web standards, and one of the things I like about it, is that oftentimes we have the benefit of hindsight. You know, uh, usually, usually we're not innovating so much in the web. Like, usually we're implementing something that's already out there. We have prior art, and we can see the problems that they run into. So, in the case of background sync, like what I would argue is, I would say, well, if you look at how native apps operate, actually, it's already very, very easy to abuse this. Yeah. I think on on Android, you can set up a timer in the background uh, for Android native apps. You can set up a timer that runs. Uh, the smallest interval they allow, I believe, is 30 minutes. So you can have an app that does something every 30 minutes. And that could be a very intense operation. You know, it could be something that uh, wakes up your radio, you know, makes a bunch of remote requests, that does a sync, and maybe runs down your battery. So this danger kind of already exists. Sure. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very true. Um, so going, going back onto this, uh, going to mobile again. Um, so is it a good idea? Uh, to to just use this one shot sync in the temporary, or is, is continuous fine because battery battery life is a concern, and I don't know um, how much drain one would expect if it's continuously uh, synchronizing. What do you think? Well, in the case of uh, PouchDB's live sync, it only happens when the app is open, and uh, I, I I admit I haven't actually tested it to see what the battery drain is on one versus the other, but I've never heard complaints from users that uh, live sync was a huge battery drain. Sure. Yeah. No, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, but you you should definitely test both. If you're if you're very very worried about battery life, you should test both. Uh, test socket pouch as well to see if that uh, if that has any impact on battery life. Is that uh, is socket pouch pretty easy to switch over to? Because I know it's not the default. You said. Yep, it's a third party uh, add-on, actually uh, written by me, <laughs> but uh, still right. third party. Um, and yeah, it just enables you to do PouchDB's uh, sync uh, sync protocol but over WebSockets instead of over regular HTTP uh, REST calls. So what would it be like, a parameter to a function that you're adding in uh, to um, get this switched over? Or? It's, a, uh, it's a plugin that you would install. You would install it with NPM, 
or you download the code. Sure. And you actually set it up as a both a server and a client component because it has to set up that WebSocket connection. And then uh, on the client, it's just like a one-line call. I think you call pouchdb.plugin sure. and you pass it in. And uh, on the server side, you set it up so that when a database is created, you set up a proxy to either sure. CouchDB or or a PouchDB running on uh, on Node.js uh, or to Cloud and Couchbase, any one of those. So is it, uh, it sounds similar to Socket.io. Is it inspired off of Socket.io? Uh, actually, I used Socket.io uh, to build it, or rather I used Engine.io because uh, WebSockets aren't perfectly supported in every browser. And actually, in some cases, uh, Engine.io will just fall back to regular HTTP long polling because uh, in some cases it's actually preferable. And uh, having that abstracted out for us is kind of nice. Yeah. But but to be clear, I wouldn't recommend that anyone use Socket Pouch as their default choice. I would recommend playing with it and testing it and seeing if you like it compared to the, the default options. But honestly, the default option of long polling should be good enough for all your needs. Yeah, I've actually used the long polling method with PouchDB and it, it's been absolutely perfect for me. So I, I definitely recommend that as well. Um, Glad to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've made several references to Cloudint. I've heard you say uh, CouchDB, CouchBase. Um, what are the all of the different remote databases that are supported here? Because it sounds like there's a lot. <laughs> Can you list oh, yeah, off some of the lot. popular ones? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, so uh, CouchDB is kind of the uh, the grandpappy of all of these uh, all these databases. Uh, and CouchDB at some point split off into uh, CouchBase, which I which I know you're familiar with. Of course. Uh, yeah. Um. And uh, at some point, uh, I think, yeah, I think there was a there was another fork called Big Couch, which eventually became uh, Cloudant, and now is being parts of it are being merged back into CouchDB 2.0. Um, so, but long story short, nowadays there are lots of databases that kind of implement the same sync protocol as CouchDB, uh, with the idea being that it's really nice to be able to have multiple targets for synchronization. Like the way I think of it is that the protocol, the synchronization protocol is kind of like the underlying telephony network. And then we have these, uh, these network providers that implement the protocol. Right? And that's what I would say things like CouchDB, Cloudant, uh, CouchBase, and uh, even our own PouchDB server is very much like this. So those are the, probably the, the four most popular uh, data sources then, yeah? I would say so, yeah. And then uh, Cloudant is by IBM, correct? Yes, that's true. All right, so just so we have some backstory on that. All right, perfect. Uh, so uh, let's, uh, let's take a little bit of a turn here. Uh, so what, I know we mentioned Node.js and, and JavaScript, but does PouchDB work with any, any frameworks in particular? Oh, yeah. Uh, PouchDB is framework agnostic, so you can use it with your framework of choice. There are lots of wrapper libraries out there that make it easier to work with different frameworks. Uh, there is a wrapper called Angular PouchDB that you can use if you're using it with Angular. Uh, for Ember, there is a uh, there's something called Ember Pouch, which kind of makes PouchDB play play nice with Ember data. Uh, for React, there's actually quite a few out there. Um, like there's probably more than I can count. Um, but if you want to, you can also just use PouchDB in a vanilla way. And I've actually found that works really well for a lot of applications. Like PouchDB just ex exposes a promise API. So if you're used to promises, then you'll know, you'll understand immediately how PouchDB works. Uh, it also exposes event emitters. So you can just attach events. Like for instance, when you're listening to a changes feed, you just say uh, PouchDB.changes.on change. And then you get, then you pass in a callback, and uh, that callback runs whenever there's a change. So Very, it's pretty, pretty standard JavaScript stuff. 
Very cool. So you mentioned React. Does that mean that it works with React Native as well or just React.js for browsers? Um, so React Native is not uh, is not supported at the first party level, but there is uh, there is actually a a an adapter that has been written that allows PouchDB to work on React Native. I believe it uses async storage under the hood, which is kind of their uh, it's kind of React Native's implementation of uh, asynchronous local storage, sure. um, and that and that will allow you to use PouchDB on React Native. I know you can also do it over SQLite if you use um, the SQLite plugin and then use an adapter to use Cordova plugins inside of React Native. In any case, it is possible to do. It's it's definitely not like our um, first-class, best-supported use case, but it is totally doable. Uh, the, the thing to understand, I think, is that um, not all JavaScript environments are equal, in a sense. Yeah. Like, they don't all have exactly the same technologies under the hood. So, you know, if you have local storage, for instance, in the browser, that doesn't mean you have local storage in Node.js. In fact, you don't. Uh, it also doesn't mean that you have local storage in React Native. In fact, you don't, because it's just a pure JavaScript environment. There is there is officially no backing store unless one is provided by uh, by React, as it is in the case of async storage. And it's the same story for a native script. Sure. Yeah. Uh, sounds sounds accurate to me. Um, so uh, I actually have recently taken up a lot of TypeScript thanks to Angular two. Um, but I know that a lot of JavaScript libraries give me some hassle because they don't have the type definitions available to me. Does PouchDB have any type definitions, or are there any plans to get those so that way it works better with TypeScript? Uh, so we do have type definitions on definitely typed. It's not uh, it's not supported by PouchDB itself because PouchDB itself is written in just vanilla JavaScript. Actually, written in vanilla ES5. Uh, no, that's not true. We're using one ES6 feature, which is the imports, but uh, that actually doesn't get exposed to users. So, uh, so we don't support TypeScript uh, at, at, at a first-class level, but definitely typed does have those definitions. Is there? Do you know if there's any plans um, to uh, maybe pull that from definitely typed and make it a first-class citizen on uh, PouchDB? Um, I actually haven't been. Uh, I haven't actually used TypeScript myself, so I was actually kind of wondering about this because uh, there was a blog post out recently uh, about using PouchDB in Ionic 2, and one of the pain points they mentioned was uh, TypeScript definitions being a little out of date. And I know that TypeScript support is going to become more and more important as as Ionic 2 and Angular 2 kind of gain ground. So yeah, it's actually something that I think uh, is on my roadmap. I'd either like to contribute to definitely typed or possibly bring those into PouchDB core. Yeah, yeah, no, I've found that Using TypeScript, it makes uh, not only does it make it easier to use, but it makes uh, any of my projects easier to maintain. So I don't know, maybe it would make. Uh, I haven't looked at the source code to PouchDB, but uh, you never know; it could make it easier on on you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, the PouchDB API is is super stable. It's been stable for years. I mean, we 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 literally just reimplement CouchDB. Like it's uh, it's almost a brazen ripoff. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, it's it's super stable. Like writing the TypeScript definitions, they shouldn't change very frequently. Sure. Yeah. No. They 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 shouldn't. I've, I mean, I've been using it probably since you started. I think you probably even got me into PouchDB, but uh, it really hasn't changed too much from a end user perspective. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so since since you work more closely with the project than I do, do you have any cool use cases of or stories of people using PouchDB that uh, you wouldn't mind talking about? Uh, actually, I do, and this is one of the things that uh, I, I'm super proud of. 
is that uh, so when the Ebola epidemic was going on, actually, uh, there was a company or, or an organization called eHealth Africa that was working to uh, help people in the field who were going out and were using their phones to interview people and ask them about their symptoms, when were the last time their symptoms occurred, uh, when did the symptoms go away, and uh, you know they were helping to eradicate Ebola in West Africa. And they wanted to use open source technologies for this, and they wanted to build uh, a hybrid app to do this. And one of the technologies that they actually chose was PouchDB. So actually out there in the field, when they were logging information about patients, they were uh, writing the data to PouchDB on this local device, and then they were syncing it back to a CouchDB on the server, with the advantage being that uh, the network was not necessarily always reliable where they were in, in West Africa. And so this was the perfect solution for them because wherever they were in the field, they could take, they could take down patients' information and they didn't have to worry about the network being down. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, really pleased that PouchDB was a part of that effort. Uh, super proud of that. So, so after this epidemic happened, did they ever uh, come back to you guys with feedback on how the experience went with PouchDB and, and like, um, what, what their thoughts were? At all? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they did. Absolutely. Uh, so there's actually a really great talk. Uh, I believe it was given at JSConf last call uh, by Patricia Garcia, who was on that team, and she gave a whole talk about uh, about how they use PouchDB in the field and the uh, and the strengths and the weaknesses of um, uh, of the application that they wrote. It's it's a really fascinating talk. Uh, I can give you a link that you can put in the show notes if you'd like. Yeah, I would I would definitely love a link, and I will uh, certainly add that to the show notes uh, for people to further educate themselves on on how PouchDB is being used. Um, so, um, is there any scenarios that you can think of? I know that you are really all for PouchDB, but um, are there any scenarios where you might not want to use PouchDB, but maybe a different solution? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, so one thing that I, I have noticed is that some people will, uh, once they learn PouchDB, they really love it, which uh, I don't mind that so much. That's really cool. Uh, but then sometimes they'll try to use it in scenarios where maybe it's kind of overkill. So one scenario where I often see this happening is uh, when people want to write data locally, but they're not really interested in syncing. They just want to store some data on the device, and maybe they'll never, they'll never actually sync it anywhere. And the truth is that if you're doing that, uh, PouchDB is kind of overkill because it has this revision control system, which I sort of think of as being like Git. So it's kind of like uh, you write a document, and then when you want to make a change to that document, you have to provide a revision marker sort of to prove that you knew which version of the document you were working with when you modified it, sure. uh, exactly like, like Git commits work. And the, the goal of that is that then it's really, really easy to synchronize changes across many, many different clients and servers. And uh, it's how PouchDB and CouchDB handle conflicts very, very elegantly. Yeah, and CouchBase does the same thing. Yes, exactly. Um, but if you're just writing data locally and you just want something fast and you don't need to manage uh, revisions, then using PouchDB can be overkill. And in situations like that, I would really recommend something like Local Forage, which is another abstraction layer over IndexedDB, WebSQL, Local Storage, these uh, browser databases. It's very easy to work with. It's made by Mozilla. It's like uh, seven or eight kilobytes. I myself have worked on it, so I can I can vouch for it. It's a good library. Uh, there's that. There's many other uh, database wrappers out there. Dexy is one I like a lot. Has a really really nice uh, queryable API. Um, so I would re I would recommend using one of one of those uh, databases, unless you're syncing. If you're if you're syncing data, then definitely go with PouchDB. It's uh, it's the best in the business. I don't mean to brag, but. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that's it's pretty good. Um, yeah, so I'll actually look into local forage and maybe I can get uh, someone from Mozilla to speak on it on the next episode to explain uh, what that's all about. But we'll we'll leave that for for a different time. Um, so, um, you've probably seen a lot of people uh, submit issue tickets. Maybe you've helped in forums, Twitter, um, and I'm sure. I mean, I've helped plenty of people and run into this as well. But do you have any examples of people incorrectly using PouchDB? Like, like uh, you look at it and, and raise your eyebrow and say, "Well, I don't. Why are you doing it this? What? Why are you using it like this? <laughs> uh, have you ever have you ever run into something like this?" <laughs> uh, yeah, that definitely does happen. Uh, I I would say that the most frequent cause of the of that, the most frequent cause of the eyebrow raising, uh, would be promises. Like a, a lot of people. Look at the promise. Look at promise APIs somewhere, and they think, "Oh, I, I got this right. This makes sense." And then they just kind of start using it without really delving deep into, "Okay, how exactly do promises work? How do I, how do I chain them? How do I, uh, how do I do a for each on a promise?" Right, yeah. and um, it, it leads to a lot of pain. And actually, I, I saw misuse of promises so much that I ended up writing this this huge kind of ranty blog post that actually ended up getting. Uh, Getting passed around a lot and shared a lot. Uh, called "We Have a Problem with Promises." Sure, and uh, I'll, I can give you a link to that as well. Yeah, uh, please. And, <clears throat> yeah, and a lot of people have told me that by reading this sort of ranty blog post, which which it, it's kind of a tutorial dis- disguised as a rant, honestly, because it just kind of lays out here are common promise errors that people make, and here's how to fix those errors. And I've heard from lots of people that it's a really it's a useful guide for understanding promises. And sometimes when I see people making promise mistakes, I just send them a link to the article and say, uh, "Here, you might enjoy this." Yeah, I think you probably actually sent me that too because I there was a time where I was chaos with those things. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, they're they're a little little complicated to uh, get through for the, for the first time, but uh, they're not bad. Yeah, well, we've all been there. Trust me, I've yeah. made every single one of the mistakes that I mentioned in that in that post. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, is there any is there any last minute words of wisdom that you that you can share with people, or anything that you want to uh, say that uh, you think would be beneficial to the listeners on this on this subject? Uh, yeah, I would like to say so. Uh, PouchDB actually had a, a big a big week this week, and I kind of want to just give a little shout out to that. Uh, we released PouchDB 5.4.0, which was a non-breaking change that added a new and very very cool feature, in my opinion, which is custom builds. So now, um, if you're only using a part of PouchDB and you're not using the whole thing, you can actually trim away some of the bytes that you would normally be shipping down to browsers. Uh, you can trim that away and just just use the parts that you want. Um, which is also really, really nice because when you use this custom API, it's actually split up into multiple NPM packages. And what that means is that you not only only ship the code to your users that you absolutely need, but you only download the code from NPM that you absolutely need. So it actually speeds up your builds and it can speed up your app. So so let me ask this. Um, say I wanted to use the full uh, PouchDB and everything, everything that it offers, about what size is that file that I'd be including in my application or my, my web application? I think right now it stands at uh, 45 kilobytes minified and gzipped, which is pretty pretty good, I would yeah. say. I mean, when you consider, you know, I think I think an Ember Hello World is something like 300 kilobytes. So it's really not bad. But, I mean, some people are very, very sensitive to byte size and they really want to trim away, you know, everything they're not using. And that's definitely a use case that we want to enable. Yeah, absolutely. Google will definitely penalize you for having larger... Uh, web applications if so the smaller the better yep 
Well, all right, man. Uh, it sounds like we covered uh, quite a bit on this episode, and I'm thinking that uh, the listeners are going to get a, a, a lot out of this. I do appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to be on this episode, and maybe in the future we'll uh, we'll have you back. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a lot of fun talking to you, Nick. I hope you enjoyed this episode regarding PouchDB. Uh, Nolan is actually a really good guy, and he is very uh, he has good communication when it comes to uh, trying to get help on PouchDB. And PouchDB is is definitely a pretty good. Uh, database. I've I've not used it so much uh, when it comes to web applications. I've mostly used it in mobile applications, uh, but in both scenarios, it, it's it's pretty good. Uh, it's one of the better choices that you can find online uh, in the in the category. Nolan mentioned a lot in the podcast that it was designed off of CouchDB. I've personally only ever used it with CouchBase. Uh, so you do have options as far as your backend database goes. So you could use, of course, CouchDB, CouchBase, Cloudant. Uh, there's many different possibilities, but from a personal level, I've only ever used it with CouchBase. If you enjoyed this episode and are listening to it from iTunes or another outlet that allows you to leave ratings and reviews, it would leave it would mean a lot to me if you left a rating and review uh, saying something positive about the podcast. So that way, other listeners or other potential listeners. Uh, we'll be able to see it and get a lot out of what this podcast has to offer. If you have questions regarding anything that you heard on this podcast, you can go to thepolyglotdeveloper.com slash podcast hyphen questions, and you can go ahead and fill out the form and send me an email uh, with whatever your question is, and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. If your business is based around mobile, web, or game development, there are sponsorship opportunities available for the Polyglot Developer. So if you go to thepolyglotdeveloper.com, scroll to the bottom of the site and click the link Become a Sponsor, you can find out what opportunities exist. And that concludes episode number six. Mm-hmm.